0: It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, October 15th, 2009. Oh, busy, busy day. Busy, busy week. You know when you say busy, 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 it makes it sound like it's really busy? I know that was really profound. You can use it, though. I I won't charge you if you use it. They say creativity is the art of hiding your source, you know. (laughs) All right, I'm in a weird mood. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment the goal of which is to help you to think critically to help you to think biblically to compare what people are saying in the name of god to the word of god there is no shortage of people saying bizarre things about god that are just not found in his word and unfortunately the places where those things are being said are in christian churches that's a problem yesterday's sermon being an example what what was the big thing that we t- try to highlight yesterday Isa Jesus. That's when you read your ideas into the scriptures. That's that's uh, strictly forbidden. You're not supposed to do that. It's no bueno. Not good at all. You don't want to do that. And so uh, the idea here is is that um, through listening to Fighting for the Faith, you learn how to detect wolves. Yeah, it's this is a wolf detection, ongoing wolf detection seminar. Unfortunately. Uh, the continuing education credits here f- at Fighting for the Faith are not applicable for continuing education, uh, at least in the sense where you don't get credit for it here on earth. However, we do think that, uh, that what we do here does have eternal benefits in the sense of helping you not be deceived and focusing you on Jesus Christ and him crucified for your sins. Important stuff. All right, looking at today's <clears throat> groundbreaking program... I've got a couple of emails I want to talk about. Well, first of all, is a specific one, and then a the second one is, an, is a kind of a general. It, I, I get a few emails from time to time about the issue of alcohol. We'll talk about that. Um, let's see here. Uh, I, I, again, a nasty gram from a guy uh, named Paul who's uh, defending Pete Wilson. Pete Wilson being the guy uh, whose sermon we critiqued yesterday from Cross Point in Nashville, and uh, somebody came to his aid. We're going to take a look at this particular email because it's got some um, well problems in it. We'll talk about that. And uh, then we I've got a fantastic um, piece that was sent to me by the Reverend Sam Schulteis of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Huntington Beach, California. The name of it is uh, The Top Ten Ways the Gospel is Abused, Misused, and Confused. Fantastic piece. We're going to be uh, reading that on the air today. And uh, and then Perry Noble of New Spring Church out there in Anderson, uh, South Carolina, has responded to his critics. Well, actually, no, he hasn't responded to his critics. Uh, he's responded with a non-response to his critics. So well, does that mean that he responded or that he didn't respond that, to his critics? I'm just not sure which it is. Well, we'll we'll play it and we'll talk about that. It's another fine blog post. A good work over by the guys over at the Pajama uh, the Pajama Pages web blog. By the way, um, Pajama Pages, they, they <clears throat> there's a critique against uh, bloggers who critique pastors, uh, you know, especially think people like Rick Warren and Bill Hybels and stuff like that. They call them the Pajama Roddy. It, the, the, the mental picture that's supposed to be cast is that uh, that there is no such thing as a valid criticism of such pastors and that those people who are casting aspersions and critiquing what they're saying and, and holding their feet to the biblical fire are basically a bunch of people who, for whatever reason, um, probably live in trailers, ha- are overweight, have a, a few teeth, if any and uh, have nothing better to do every day except for critique a pastor. And uh, the only reason why they're doing that is because they're jealous people who don't have a life, and, 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 and they have to tear down somebody else because that's their psychological profile. Nothing could be further from the pr- truth, but I, the reason I mentioned that is because of the name of the pajama page. Is a great blog name, by the way. And then over at the uh, at the blog, um, uh, the Pyromaniacs. They have a great piece up there called Self-Help, Self-Esteem, Self-Destruction in Large, Irresponsible Mouths. I want to uh, read that. Uh, they it's just a fantastic piece. Time permitting, we're going to get to uh, a a very important... Uh, I mean this. I mean, a very important um, press release that I received... Regarding the secret code hidden in the Bible, uh, did you know there was a code hidden in the Bible? I did not know this. There's apparently a code hidden in the Bible, and uh, I've got a press release to prove it. So uh, time permitting, we'll get to that. And then our sermon uh, review today comes from C3 Church in Clayton, North Carolina, the Reverend Matt Fry. And... Uh, And uh, the reason I picked this particular one, the name of the sermon is called Uprising, and and uh, that's the sermon series. The sermon title is How to Experience an Uprising, and I say it like that because that's the way their sermon artwork is. Uh, The reason I'm doing this is because this is a kind of a seeker-driven model church, and the Reverend Matt Fry there is actually going to be working through the book of Ephesians. That's a good thing. So I, funny enough, because he's reading the text, you're going to hear the gospel today in this uh, sermon. But I want to take a look at how he's handling God's word, considering that uh, it's not a, a normal fare for a, a seeker-driven, purpose-driven church to actually preach through an entire text of the Bible. Unless, of course, it's the Song of Solomon. Because, <laughs> Yeah, well, anyway... Um, I want to, see, we're going to take a look at how he's handling God's word here and what he's doing with it. And so, um, and, you know, and, and then obviously what are we listening for? We're listening for correct use of law and gospel, the law to condemn us of our sins, the gospel to offer us the forgiveness of sins won by Christ on the cross, and, uh, and, you know, and things like that. And so that, those are going to be some important things to listen for in that particular sermon. So you don't want to miss it. So with that in mind, uh, we're gonna dive into our program proper. Please make yourself comfortable. And uh, since we're now listening, we're literally listened to all over the world. It, it, in fact, uh, fighting for the Faith's fastest growing audience segment is those outside of the U.S. I, I kid you not. When I look at our, when I look at our stats, um, we are growing rapidly in uh, such countries as the U.K., South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, and Japan, of all places. Um, so, uh, uh, sh- I'd like to say a shout out to all of us listening, uh, l- for all of you listening to fighting for the faith overseas, I cannot thank you enough for listening to this program. And, uh, because of you now I can't just, you know, talk like, you know, it's only Americans that are listening. That being the case, the fuzzy bunny slippers, the standing rule is it just depends on the weather in your, in your neck of the woods The wherever you are on the planet, uh, keep in mind, warm, fuzzy bunny slippers are not a good thing. Although... Um, we may be in talks with Birkenstock to see if we can uh, c- kind of get a uh, an open-toed fuzzy bunny slipper for uh, for warm weather occasions I'm kid- <laughs> kidding <laughs> and also, uh, standing rule here uh, we do not have a problem if you would like to in- enjoy an, an adult beverage while listening to Fighting for the Faith and uh, we're going to actually talk about why that is uh, today in, in our email segment, so with that in mind Let's dive into our email. And uh, right off the bat, I got an email uh, l- last night uh, yesterday, uh, well, whenever we broadcasted. <laughs> I did a sermon uh review from uh Pastor Pete Wilson of uh Cross Point Church in in uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, that's right, decrepitude apparently is affecting my memory skills here. Um anyway, and, uh, and the sermon, well, he sure did engage in a lot of what we call eisegesis. What is eisegesis? That's when you read your ideas into the scripture and they're not valid implications or not actually taught in the text. Um, and, uh, pastors need to av- avoid that error as much as possible because it creates a form, of, it, it actually causes them to say things about God and His word that are not true. And, and they, at that point, regardless of how nice they are, it causes them to engage in false teaching and false doctrine, okay? No, the, the correct way of reading God's Word is what we call uh, exegesis. Sorry, I had to think about it, exegesis. We're exegeting, we're reading out from Scripture what it says. The job of a pastor is to open up the Bible and ex- help us to, he needs to shed light Use the tools he's been given on semin- in seminary to help shed light so that we can understand what it is that God is communicating in his word so that we can understand the mind of God. Because what we're dealing with here, the Bible is a revelation from God about himself. And so, and, and really, the, the, the gist of that then is to also to center us and focus it on Christ and him crucified for our sins, as the Apostle Paul said. In First Corinthians, I chose to know nothing among you except for Christ and Him crucified. Or as Jesus told the Pharisees, "You diligently search the Scriptures because you think in them you have life. Yet you refuse to come. They are, they are the very Scriptures that testify about Me." I'm talking about the Old Testament, they are the very Scriptures that testify about Me, and yet you refuse to come to Me to have life. So, uh, really, the, 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 the Bible is the, is the story of God's rescue of us, wretched, a bunch of wretched, sinful people. Who, have, uh, who are dead in trespasses and sin, who have rebelled against God, and uh, are now by nature, born by nature, sinful and at war with God, and uh, objects of God's wrath, children of the devil, if you would. Uh, anyway, so uh, I, I'm rambling here, but I got an email from Paul. I do not know where Paul is from. I will just assume that he's, because he's a friend of Pete, that you know, he's in the general vicinity of Pete, although he could be anywhere in the world and uh, <clears throat> paul writes he says uh, mr rose this is a nasty gram so i have to use my my condescending voice mr rose i stumbled upon your radio site tonight while you were trashing my brother pete wilson uh paul um no actually i wasn't trashing uh pete wilson I was critiquing his sermon. There is a huge difference, huge difference. I wasn't saying of Pete Wilson that he's a gunky head and that his mom dresses him funny. I was not uh, calling him names. I was not engaging in ad hominem arguments. What I was doing was highlighting his incorrect, false, uh, exegetical practice of eisegeting the the text. By the way, we used uh, cows to help us out with that because it's a good way to teach by the way those poor cows I think I stressed them out and it did take me at least 4 hours to get all of what we refer Leving referred to as bovine scatology bovine scatology out of uh, my uh, makeshift uh, recording studio so that you know I, you know, I wouldn't run afoul of uh, the, my landlords <clears throat> Anyway we continue um Pete's conjecture and that's what it is conjecture this is Paul writing Pete's conjecture, and that's what it is, conjecture, as to the background nuances of the text, is something pastors have been doing for generations upon generations. Conjecture. <clears throat> that's an interesting word that you are using, um, uh, Paul. And we're, tell you what, we're going to do a, just a little bit of work here. Um, if if you all are looking for a good online dictionary, I, I prefer the Merriam-Webster's uh, Dictionary Online, and you can get there rather easily at m-w.com m-w.com. I'm going to type in the word conjecture. Okay, it's an interesting. It's interesting that you would use that word in describing what uh, Pete Wilson was doing. Okay, conjecture. It means an inference from defective or presumptive evidence. An inference from defective or presumptive evidence. A conclusion deduced by surmise or guesswork. <laughs> Okay. Paul, that's the definition of conjecture. And you readily agree that uh, Pete was engaging in conjecture. So he was making in- inferences from defective or presumptive evidence, or he was drawing conclusions that were deduced by surmise or guesswork. That's not the job of a pastor. And I don't care if there's a long tradition of conjecturers out there within the Christian tradition. That is not a, that is not what pastors are called to do. They're not too called to engage in guesswork. They're not called to engage in conjecture. They're called to proclaim the word of God as the very oracles of God. Uh, this funny email. I mean, the defense here is not a very good one. <clears throat> Hang on a second. He says, uh, perhaps the best thing we should do as, a, as Christians is just read the text. Well, in the case of the sermon that we reviewed last night, that actually would have been a better thing for him to do because then he wouldn't have been off talking about this. Uh, you know, th- about your true self and all that kind of garbage because it's not taught in the text. Uh, no commentary or exegesis because it might not meet with your approval. Uh, listen, uh, it has nothing to do with my approval. It just has to do with the fact that conjecture and guesswork does not lead us to understanding the mind of God, nor does it help us to understand what God's Word actually says. Okay. Uh, Plain and simple, uh, he was saying things that are not there. He was reading things into God's word, and that's a way of twisting God's word and twisting the message. That's not his job. He's supposed to faithfully teach the word. By the way, um, if you don't believe me, uh, the Bible itself actually talks about this particular issue, about twisting the word and not teaching sound doctrine. Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, that would be 1. Um, let's see here. All right. Um, verse nine, talking about, I'm going to start at verse nine and, uh, talking about uh, overseers or pastors, uh, pa- uh, uh, overseer must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. In other words, Paul here is saying that pastors should not be engaging in conjecture because conjecture is a form of unsound doctrine. We continue. And Paul says the reason why we do this is for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, And deceivers. By the way, somebody who is eisegeting a passage of scripture, reading their stuff and using conjecture to do guesswork, those are empty talkers and deceivers. That's a form of empty talk and deception. So there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. You're not supposed to teach things that are contrary to sound doctrine, and conjecture falls into the category of that which is unsound. All right, Uh, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. So when you're engaging in eisegesis, that's a form of turning away from the truth. You're not reading out what God has said. You're reading into it what you want to be there, but isn't there. Uh, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure. But uh, both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, uh, but they deny him by other works. They are detestable, disobedient, and fit for um, any good work. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine that's what titus chapter 2 verse 9 through chapter 2 verse 1 says so no i don't care if there's a long history of people who engage in conjecture Uh, that's not what they're supposed to be doing because that's contrary to sound doctrine Uh, we continue yeah you know what my mom always used to ask if you if your friends jumped off a cliff would you jump too I think that applies here. You're saying that just because you know, there's a there's a whole generations and generations of people who engage in conjecture. I don't know what denomination you're a part of. I'm a Lutheran. And uh, we throw the conjecturers out uh, because we don't want them uh, deceiving God's sheep. So anyway, we continue. So. Uh, he continues, uh, Pete is not you. Yes, that's true. Uh, he is reading the text as people in his generation read it. Well, see, that's the problem. That's, that's not his job. His job is to actually read the text and tell us what it means, not to read it as the people in his generation read it. Because they're a bunch of wicked sinners and they, they don't know how to handle God's word. He's supposed to be a pastor and know better. Anyway, and because the Bible is a living book, it will communicate truth. And because the written word points to Jesus, the living word, people will be drawn to the cross. Again, I just cite Titus 1 against you. Uh, if if that was not Paul's laissez faire attitude, Paul wasn't basically saying who cares if guys are teaching false doctrine. The Bible's a living book, and it's going to communicate the truth. And because it's a living word, people will be drawn to the cross. No, he was saying that there were people who were t- who were twisting it, and those people who were twisting it and not teaching uh, sound doctrine needed to be rebuked and rebuked sharply. None of this laissez-faire, oh, no big deal, it's the word of God, and, you know, the guy. The guy. no, no, I'm sorry, that argument doesn't hold any water. All right, wrapping up the email, so someday you will have to give an account to a holy and just God as to why you squandered all this energy, trashing other people whom he loves. Actually, I wasn't trashing Pete Wilson, and I was critiquing his sermon. There, again, there's a big difference, you need to separate the man from the sermon there, dude. Um, I understand he's the one who delivered it, and he's the one who engaged in in, uh, in error in eisegeting, and he needs to repent. But the way I see it is, is that my conscience is bound to the Word of God. God's Word tells me I have to rebuke sharply those who are contradicting God's Word. And uh, if I didn't warn people about this type of deception that he is engaging in, entitled eisegesis, Um, Then actually I would have to give an account to God as to why uh, somebody who knows better I didn't say anything and warn the church when uh, when there was all this deception going on. You You see what I'm saying? Uh, when good people do nothing, they no longer they are no longer good people, so I understand that what I do makes me unpopular i understand I get all the emails telling me how hateful I am. I get all the emails telling me how, what a what a bigot i am what a yeah i in fact i was compar somebody sent me a tweet comparing me to that uh, church in North Carolina that 's going to be doing the book burning and the bible burning if that 's your level of discernment. Hey, you know what? Uh, but see, uh, listen, it's just an occupational hazard. its I take all of my criticisms. Actually, uh, funny enough, um, I, I read all, my, all the criticisms I get from people. Some of the criticisms I get are actually really profound and good. And I am so thankful for those ones. Where somebody points out something that I had missed or had overlooked, those to me are like the best crit- critiques. I mean, got to tell you. When, when somebody points something out that I had never seen before that I was doing or that I can make something better, I just mwah, oh, love it. Love it. Okay. So I actually value my, uh, my, uh, critics. I, in that sense. Now I also get a lot of critiques that are n- not really well thought out and unfounded. Uh, those ones, I, I take them and I weigh their arguments according to the scriptures and decide accordingly whether or not they have anything to offer me by way of valid critique. You see, the thing is, just because someone's critiquing me doesn't mean that they, that I just brush them off and just say, be gone with you. I should not have a critic. No, 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 no. I, I don't mind the nasty grams. Don't mind them at all. And and I, they don't deflate me one bit. <laughs> no. A good critique for me is gold. A bad critique, well... I just basically say no, this doesn't hold water, and therefore I don't need to heat it. In this particular case, Paul, uh, Paul's email is not ba- is not based on biblical truth and a biblical critique. It hasn't really offered me anything that I that I could be doing better or repent of. So um, that being the case, thanks for the email, Paul. Unfortunately, Pete was still wrong for engaging in eisegesis. and no, I was not being mean and unloving and pointing it out. I was being loving to god's sheep and warning them against that particular form of deception, all right, moving along here um I get from time to time and lately um i've received several emails from concerned listeners because of the fact that well um at the beginning of many of our programs we say or i say i don't have a problem if you want to enjoy an adult beverage while listening to fighting for the faith. Now the reason I say that, the reason there's many reasons why I say things. Uh, I, I funny enough, I have a reason for everything I do. And uh I used to be a legalistic pietistic Nazarene, okay? And I was told by my fellow legalistic pietistic Nazarenes, especially legalistic pietistic Nazarene pastor types, um that drinking alcohol is a sin. That's what I was told. And, uh, and that if I engage, if I did that, then I, then th- 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 all kinds of terrible things would happen from, I mean, from it being a sin to other people saying, well, it may or may not be a sin, but you better not do it because you could cause somebody to stumble. Okay. That's the big argument because you could cause somebody to stumble. Now, I do not believe, uh, that it's wise to practice your Christian liberty in such a way that you cause your brother to stumble. Okay. Uh, You do have to keep in mind that there are those who are weak in their faith, and you don't want to destroy them, and so you don't want to do something that would destroy their faith. Now, that being the case, why is it that I keep saying that uh, I don't have a problem with uh, if you want to enjoy an adult beverage while listening to Fighting for the Faith? Reason being is because the Bible clearly teaches that the sin involved in alcohol is an abuse of alcohol, drunkenness. And uh, if you are engaging in drinking to the point of it being drunk, you're sinning and you need to repent. Plain and simple. And you need to repent and receive the forgiveness of sins that Christ won for you on the cross because Christ even died for the sin of drunkenness. He even died for that. And so um, that being the case, though, I want to take a look at that logic. Okay, First of all, is drinking a sin and um if if it, if it is what are, what does that have to you know are we saved i i, I asked the question sincerely and then for those of you who say that uh that uh, i i could be setting a bad example for people or you know, or or cause them to stumble um i'm going to basically say point this out if drinking is a sin or it, it automatically will cause somebody to stumble and is a bad example then jesus christ sinned and he's not our savior Plain and simple. You are still in your sins and you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. Because he cannot be the perfect sacrifice for our sins um, if he has ever once committed one sin. Plain and simple. He's our spotless lamb. Now, that being said, let's take a look at the Bible real quick. John chapter 2. A uh, verse one, we read on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, we have no wine. Let me set this up for you. Wedding feast, wine, wines flowing. They run out. So people had been drinking. Okay. The mother of Jesus said to them, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, drinking is a sin, and uh, you you need to repent because these people, they should not have been drinking wine in the first place. It's not what the text says. I just threw that in there to see if you were paying attention. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding about 20 to 30 gallons of water. Though That is a lot of water. I, I can't even lift a, uh, I could barely lift a five-gallon uh, water bottle, you know, for those sparklets things. Or, you know, Well, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. Well, so they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, but when the people have drunk freely or had too much to drink, then they pour the bad wine or the poor wine. Uh, but you've kept the good wine till now. And this is the first signs that Jesus did at Canaan and Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So here's the deal. Wedding feast, people drinking. have They've had plenty to drink, and, well, they've run out of wine. What does Jesus do? He makes more. And not only that, he makes a truckload of it. And it's not just any old wine. It's the best stuff. It's the good stuff. Now, I've actually heard from legalists and pietists uh, who've told me this is not alcoholic wine. Uh, that's bovine scatology. okay. I happen to um, know how to brew my own beers, and I know a thing or two about making wine. And I can tell you definitively that um, uh, until the uh, the invention of refrigeration, it was absolutely impossible to stop the fermentation process when you would um, try to make, quote, grape juice. The reason why is because if you ever looked on the outside of a grape skin, uh, you'll see a, a like a white dusty frosting on the outside of of every grape. Well, you know what that is? That's a yeast. That's a fungus growing on the outside of the of the of the grape skins. And uh, when you crush a grape, you are releasing all of the sugars inside of the uh, juice there into a basin, and at the same time, that juice is coming in contact with the yeast on the outside of the wine skins. That yeast. Gets going. You know what that yeast does? It eats the sugars, and the byproduct of it eating and consuming that sugars is alcohol. That's how it goes. And the only way to stop that, the only real true way to stop that is to um, refrigerate it. That's why uh, we don't see grape juice without alcohol until Welch's, you know, Welch's grape juice, that guy, until he invents it and and, and basically came up with a way to stop the fermentation process using refrigeration. That's how you stop it. You cool it down. And, uh, somehow in the desert of Judea, I don't think you're going to be able to stop the fermentation process without a really good high grade, um, uh, refrigerator. Okay. So it, no, it's alcoholic. And, uh, those who say that it wasn't are lying to you. That's historically false. Okay. Now that being the case again, if drinking alcohol is automatically a sin, Then Jesus sinned here by basically, um, helping all of these people sin. You see what I'm saying? But even better is the fact that Jesus himself admits to being a drinker. Okay. Now I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, do you remember those bracelets that were going around the WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do? I didn't particularly find that useful. Uh, but, um, here's the deal. Okay. Okay. Jesus, if you want to know what Jesus would do, actually, I'm more interested in what he did do, um, We, you need to go to the Bible to answer the question. Now, Jesus himself, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 11, has this wonderful little discourse about uh, John the Baptist. And in this wonderful discourse about John the Baptist, we learn something about John the Baptist, and we learn something about Jesus. Okay, We read Matthew chapter 11, Verse 11, we read, Truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and, vi- and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah, who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to all, to, but to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking, referring to alcohol consumption, and they say he has a demon. The son of man, Jesus, came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. Jesus Christ, the son of man, came eating and drinking. And what did his uh, detractors accuse him of being? A drunkard. Was he? No. But did he drink? You bet your bippy he drank. So here's the deal. If you're going to say that you're holy because you don't drink or that drinking is a sin, that is an uninformed position biblically. Because if drinking is a sin, then Jesus sinned and he ain't your savior and you ain't saved and you had better get cracking because you got a lot of karma to work off before a holy God. You know what I mean? So, why do I say that thing? Well, the reason I say that thing at the beginning of my program, over and again, is because I am battling legalistic pietism as well as other types of things. Okay, And I know that's a hot button for them. So the question is, are we free as Christians to drink? As free as Jesus was, and he was God in human flesh. Is it always sinless to drink? No. If if you engage in, in drinking in a way that causes your brother to stumble and lose faith, then you're sinning. You see what I mean? And if you are claiming that it's a sin always to drink and that you are holy because you don't do it, you are sinning because you are teaching false doctrine that's contrary to the gospel. Because we're not made holy by what we do or don't do. We're made holy by the perfect, righteous life of Jesus Christ imputed to us by grace through faith. We are therefore free when it comes to these things and free to practice it in love with our neighbor. Got it? Anyway, all right, we are up on our first break. When we come back, all right, looking at our time here. Okay. Top 10 ways the gospel is abused and misused and confused. Great piece by Pastor Sam Schulteis. We're going to get to that. And Perry Perry Noble responds but doesn't respond to his critics. We're going to talk about that. And uh, time permitting, we'll get to the self-help, self-esteem, self-destruction, and... uh, Large irresponsible mouths and the secret hidden codes in the Bible just kind of depends on time here. And of course, our sermon review is uh, about experiencing an uprising, a, uh, a sermon about the uh, the book of Ephesians. So, you definitely do not want to, uh, to miss that. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there is Pirate Christian. Also, awesome. We'll be right back.
1: No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your first doctrine now. <laughs> it's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Hey, do you want to feel holier than thou? Try Bible Thirst. Holy drinks for people who need gratuitous amounts of piety. With all new flavors like prosperity, instant abundance. It's like adding your bank account to an electrical storm. storm. Sound the alarm. You're going to be uncomfortably holy. What's that? You want mana? Well, how about super mana? Made with lightning. Real lightning. Preaching. Ah. You'll be good at it. It's a holy drink for men. Clergy. These aren't your pastor's puns. There are righteous puns. Piety puns. Sinner, saint, sinner, saint. Prayers, lights, cross, lights, power, lights, more lights than your body has room for. You'll be so holy, Mother Teresa will be like, slow down. And you'll be like, no! And roundhouse kick her in the face with your Bible butt. pants. You have so much holiness, holiness. Ah. Just praying all the time. Power, praying, power, preaching, power, praising, power, fasting, power, meditating, power, laughing, power, spawning, gesture. You have so much gesture. Just like Esau. Give prosperity to your babies, and they'll be holy too. Make your babies run out. Normally fast. They'll be as fast as Elijah. People will watch them running and think they're Elijah. They'll race as fast as Elijah in a race with the actual Elijah. And it'll be a time they'll get deported back to Israel. Hey, go with the for sure thing. Don't gabble on your afterlife. Jesus. Try Bible Thirst. The energy that will make you <laughs> holy. <laughs>
0: What if the entire resurrection was a hoax? Well, that's the premise of the book, A Skeleton in God's Closet. Written by Paul L. Meyer, the story is about Dr. Jonathan Weber, a Harvard professor and biblical scholar who's looking forward to a sabbatical year on an archaeological dig in Israel. But a spectacular find that seems to be an archaeologist's dream come true becomes a nightmare that could be the death rattle of Christianity. This book is carefully researched and compellingly written. A Skeleton in God's Closet explores the tension between doubt and faith, science and religion, and one man's determination to find the truth, no matter what the cost. Said Paul Erdman of the New York Times, With A Skeleton in God's Closet, Paul Meyer has created a new genre, the theological thriller. It reads like Robert Ludlum while expertly exploring the origins of Christianity. It's a superb book. "A Skeleton in God's Closet" is available at piratechristianradio.com. It's right there on the home page. It's available for fourteen ninety nine plus four ninety five shipping and handling, and all proceeds support the ongoing work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com and get your copy of "A Skeleton in God's Closet" today. are listening to fighting for the faith warning when i step on your feet i'm wearing spiked golf shoes it's gonna hurt but i'm not doing it because i like making people flinch no 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 it's all about the truth All right, I need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio right now. We need you to join our Pirate Christian Radio Fighting for the Faith crew. That's right, you are, listen, you need to join our crew because uh, financially we need to pay our bills in order to stay on the air. And uh, right now we are facing a financial deadline. That's right, I hate that term, deadline, it has the word dead in it. We don't want any dead air when it comes to pirate Christian radio or fighting for the faith. And uh, what we've done is we've uh, we've made it possible for a thousand of our listeners to contribute a small amount of money, which will go a long way. Six dollars and ninety five cents a month. That's it. Uh mere six dollars and ninety five cents. That's right. We're talking about you know uh, two mochas at Starbucks, a matinee movie ticket uh, per month. I mean. A small contribution that goes a long way and helps us to pay our bills every month. At least when we get to a thousand listeners doing that, we are guaranteed to continue. Uh, on because, uh, well, all of, at least on a monthly basis, our minimum expenses are taken care of. So you can join the Pirate Christian Radio crew by visiting fightingforthefaith.com, and when you arrive there, click on one of our friendly yellow Join Our Crew buttons. That's right, Join Our Crew. You'll be taken to a page that's secure and online where you can set it up so that your account will be deducted automatically every month for $6.95. Uh, it's very painless on your part, but uh, really it, it, it not only blesses us by keeping us in business, but blesses other people by helping us uh, get this important message out that we do here at Fighting for the Faith. And of course, if you would like to contribute above and beyond that, you can also click on one of the donate buttons. We always are thankful for when, when people do that. Or you can uh, make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it along to Post Office Box 508 508- Fishers, Indiana, zip code four six zero three eight. All right, Pastor Samuel Schulteis of uh, Redeemer Lutheran Church in uh, Huntington Beach, California. I'm very familiar with Huntington Beach, and um, when I when I hear the name, it conjures up, um, well, you know, home, if you would. Uh, I'm I'm transplanted into the Midwest, getting used to things like snow in October. But anyway, um, that's not what I'm talking about here. He's written myths, a piece, and forwarded it along to me, and it's fantastic. It's called The Top Ten Ways the Gospel is Abused, Misused, and Confused. Now, I, I'm not going to read this like a David Letterman's Top Ten list, but I want to read the, uh, the entire piece because it's really good. Uh, uh, Pastor Schulteis writes, he says, Obviously, there are more than ten ways that the gospel is abused, misused, and confused. Sadly, as long as the church is militant, that is, in this life until Christ returns, she will still remain under assault from the devil, the world, and our sinful nature. Therefore, we can expect nothing less than errors, heresies, and conflict, both from without and from within the visible Christian church, which are both lamentable and grievous. Even so... And in spite of these villains our Lord Jesus Christ has promised that his word will remain that's Isaiah 55:10 through 11. Notice he says that Jesus said that and <clears throat> In Isaiah, he's got a good Christology here because Jesus Christ is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. And that he will never leave or forsake his bride, the church, that's Matthew 28, verse 20, or Psalm 94, verse 14, or Ephesians 5. And that the gates of hell shall not prevail against her, the church, Matthew sixteen eighteen, amen. Accordingly, our Lord warns us to beware of of false teachers Matthew seventeen fifteen, Matthew twenty four, eleven. Now if you want to look these up, you have to kinda probably take notes or go back and replay the MP three here. So beware of false teachers who, by deceitful errors of the word of the Lord, will try and deceive good Christian people in every place. It is to be expected. This is what Jesus warned us about. That's one of the reasons why we do sermon work here is because Jesus warned us in the last days. We've been in the last days since Christ ascended. There will be uh, there will be false teachers and false prophets and false Christs. And so discernment is, uh, is 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 the rule of the day as long as the church is militant. And that's a great point, by the way, too. Therefore, as God's holy people, First Peter 2, we are encouraged by the prophets and the apostles to likewise speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15, declare the good news, Luke 24.47. And teach the pattern of sound words, 2 Timothy 2.13, so that we might speak of our common salvation and contend for the faith that's been once and for all delivered to the saints, Jude 3. With that in mind, we examine the top ten ways the gospel is abused, misused, and confused. This is just good stuff. <clears throat> I'm gonna probably put it I'm gonna probably tweet and Facebook this out. Alright, here we go. Uh, the top ten ways the gospel is abused, misused, and confused. Number ten. When it, the gospel is presented as one of several possible ways to heaven. Yeah, that's true. Number nine. When after delivering a sermon or Bible study on the forgiveness of sins purchased and won by us, uh, for us by Christ crucified, the forgiven sinners are then returned to the threats of the law. Also known as the law, gospel, law sandwich. Yeah, that's, I agree. Number eight. When it is proclaimed that Christ only died for the elect and when God's sovereignty is declared over and above his mercy. I agree. You reformed guys, pay attention. Uh, number seven, when people are told that their sins are forgiven in the in the name of Jesus, if and when they make a decision to invite him into their hearts. Uh, watch out for backsliders. Yeah, number seven, again, it's not biblical either. Number six, when satisfaction, merit, worthiness, or any involvement of the human will are included or allowed as preconditions for receiving the free gift of salvation in Christ. Yeah, that that would kind of make it so that it's not free anymore. When social statements, this is number five, when social statements, public declarations of churches, denominational rulings, or other such statements of man... Contradict the clear teachings of Scripture and the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Number four, when it is declared as positive thinking, purpose-driven living, prosperity and success, a personal—this is when the gospel is declared as positive thinking, purpose-driven living, prosperity and success, a personal self-esteem builder. The people who are in need of forgiveness are, are rather directed to their own struggle, wrestling, prayer, and positive attitude for assurance of salvation. That is an abuse of the gospel. Correct. Okay, number three, the gospel is abused when uh, hearers are directed inward to their thoughts and feelings to find hope, comfort, consolation, and the promise of salvation. Yep. Number two, the gospel is abused when it is does not predominate in the study and preaching of God's word. Absolutely. And uh, the number one way the gospel is abused, misused, and confused, hang on, drum roll, uh, the gospel is abused when the gospel is left undefined, assumed, or unspoken. That's yeah, you're abusing the gospel when you leave it undefined or assumed or unspoken. That's right. The assumed gospel is not the preached gospel. So, Pastor Schulteis ends this fine uh, this fine uh, article that he sent me. Perhaps you have heard similar statements. To the ones just listed a, a, a list like this encourages us to think critically and biblically about what we hear, read, watch, and take to heart. but it's not all bad news, even though we cry out with the disciples lord who can who then can be saved? Our Lord says in return. With man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. By his water and word and body and blood, he turns sinners into saints, the dead into living and those condemned by the law into those who are declared righteous in his sight through the free gift of salvation won for us in Christ, on the cross, in his gospel, Christ crucified for our sins. We live and move and have our being now and forevermore. Amen. Great article, Pastor Schulteis. I'm sharing this. I don't. I'm not even going to ask you for permission. It's. Yeah, I've already shared it on the radio. I'm giving it to everybody. So, <laughs> follow me on Facebook if you, or, or Twitter if you would like a copy of this. I'll send it out as a PDF, hopefully before the end of the program. Wow, was that good! All right, uh, the Pajama Pages. Uh, we've actually. They've. There's some guys over at the Pajama Pages. They are doing some fine work over there. And, uh, I recently received a tweet from one of the guys over the pajama pages and apparently, uh, Perry Noble has responded to his critics by not responding to his critics. <sighs> it's, <laughs> it's okay. Anyways, anyway, uh, w- listen, I don't want to dogpile on poor Perry Noble. I mean, he means well, he, <clears throat> he he's a sincere guy. It's, the problem is, is that he keeps mangling God's word, um, uh, forgetting he, he's into decision theology. He does things that are just, well, controversial, if you would. Um, and he has critics. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I don't have anything personal against Perry Noble. I just want you all to know that. I mean, however, I think he's earned many of the critiques that he has. And it's rather sad to me that uh, he's not, well, he's not manning up in in such a way that he would uh, listen to his critics and see if anything that they offer is valid. You get, I've got lots of critics myself. I get shot at daily. It's all part of the part of my job here, at fighting for the faith. But anyway, we continue. Uh, this is from the uh, James Duncan from the Pajama Pages, and you can find the Pajama Pages at pajamapages.com. And the uh, the blog post read: Noble, we don't fight critics except for when we do. From October 14th, Perry Noble took a few minutes to coach his congregation on how not to respond to critics last Sunday. And uh, actually, we actually we, we've got audio on this one. So listen carefully. Here is Perry Noble responding to his critics without responding to his critics. This is not a response to his critics. I just want you to know that. But he's responding to his critics.
2: Here's Perry Noble. And um, for some reason... I seem to be a target sometimes of controversy in our community. I, I know some of you are you're shocked by this. but Well, the reason
0: why you're um, a target is because... It's not because you're preaching the gospel. That's I mean, actually the reason why is because you actually don't preach it very clearly, and um, you keep twisting God's word. I mean, from my point of view, that's the reason I'm a critic of Perry Noble. I mean, I don't care if, what kind of clothes he wears, but I, I, you know, but he's done some pretty bizarre things in the, quote, name of Christ that don't square with Scripture. That's why I'm a critic
2: of Perry Noble. Well, we continue. It's true. When I go to restaurants, literally there will be people— that will make passive-aggressive comments towards me.
0: Now, see, you shouldn't be doing that. It just make your comments aggressive. Forget the passive thing. Just be aggressive with your comments. I think that's the best way to do it.
2: Um, like they'll be talking really silently, and then they'll say something really loud because they want me to hear. It, and kind of everybody at the table will go and turn back around, and I'm like, God, what am I supposed to do? Well, because Jesus turned over temples, God, I'll do it right now. He never lets me. Um, but I ask because I'm sinful and need a savior. So the, the, a little, hey, little that, that was some gospel.
0: I'm sinful and I need a savior. Woo-hoo. All right, good. That was some gospel there in his uh, critique. Again, Well, we continue.
2: I'm sitting at Chick-fil-A and there's a there's a call. There's All right. I, help
0: me out here. I've been to Chick-fil-A like twice. I've never heard of them until I moved to the Midwest. It's not that big a deal to me am i missing something okay just moving along
2: there's two college students over here and they're talking they're talking kind of silently we're sitting right next to them and all of a sudden like the girl one of the girls in a loud voice that she had not been talking to the entire time looks at her friend and goes i don't really go to church to be entertained and looked at me and went (laughs) "I'm like god she's a girl but i'll take her out i will i I mean i'll do it right now lord
0: Uh, Yeah, he missed his calling. He should have been a stand-up comic. I tell you, he actually can tell a story really well. I like the way he tells a story, and he's very funny and engaging. However, uh, that's really; those are not the strongest attributes you're looking for in a pastor. What you're looking for is somebody who will faithfully, correctly exegete God's word and not twist it, and focus you on Christ and Him crucified for your sins. Call you daily, Sunday after Sunday, to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Preach both law and gospel. Okay, we continue. Okay,
2: and everything in me, everything in me. I just, I just got to be honest. I'm going to be as honest as I because listen. I'm anyway. I struggle just like you. I want a preacher that doesn't struggle with sin. When Find the church where Jesus pastors, all right? Because, I mean, that's how that's, we all do. All right, anyway, so I wanted to look at Lucretia and Karis and go, all right, here's the, just wait right here. I'll be right, but take me a couple minutes here. Hold the pickle, you know. I want to kind of go over and sit down and put my arm around her and go, do you go to church to be bored? Do you go to church to be bored? Because the definition of entertainment is to hold one's attention for a specific amount of time, and we love to hold people's attention. What's the problem? Uh, that's
0: not, <laughs> that's not the definition of entertainment. By the way, Merriam Webster's a fine website. By the way, have I recommended it enough today? They're not paying me to do that either. Uh, I just want to let you know. Okay, let's see. Uh, entertainment, um, amusement, or diversion provided, especially by performers. Something diverting um, a public performance. Um, something that's engaging. Yeah, well, engaging would be right, but the idea here is is that uh, the uh, it's a amusement or a diversion provided by performers. Uh, churches are not called to engage in amusement or diversion. Uh, they're called to proclaim God's word, Christ and him crucified for our sins. You know, I sometimes critiquing... Um, perry noble is like shooting fish in a barrel just
2: want to let you know but i didn't because god wouldn't let me and i remember praying about that and god teaching me an important lesson and i just want to teach our church and coach our entire church every campus through this right now we don't fight battles with people that claim to be christian but don't like us
0: Are you creating an insular culture there? You only talk to yourself and never engage your critics because your critics are automatically wrong because they quote, don't like you? Perry, I like you. You're a nice guy. I've met you personally. We've shaken hands. I have a photograph of you and me at the Saddleback. I like you. You're a nice guy. However, you have earned some of your critiques, you have earned some of your critics by twisting God's word, by confusing law and gospel, by not correctly preaching the gospel. You've actually earned your critics. And so now you're basically telling all of your people to just shut their eyes and be ostriches and stick their heads in the sand?
2: Oh, this is pathetic. We don't fight battles with bloggers, We don't read the stuff, we don't go on and comment, we don't do that stuff. You know why? That's not our calling. Our calling is to preach the gospel. Our calling
0: is to preach Jesus. I agree, that's your calling, and the reason why you have critics is because you actually fall short in that category quite a bit when you twist God's word um just you know just saying
2: crucified buried risen coming again and i don't have time and neither do any of you to worry about what people say we can't control what they say we can control what jesus says to us and whether or not we're obedient to it uh
0: didn't you remember that part about uh you said you were a sinner you were being honest um why is it that uh, anybody who would say something negative about New Spring Church is automatically thrown into the ash bin as somebody who doesn't like you and you don't have to listen to them? Hmm. You know, it's funny. It reminds me of the prophets. Yeah, they weren't well-liked either. Yeah, they, they were the bloggers of, the, uh, of, the ancient, of ancient Israel, if you would.
2: Recently, we, I just, I'm, we, we just don't do it. Recently, we had to release a staff member. Over him responding to a critic, and he went over the line, and he, he confessed some stuff that he did. He went over the line. He did some stuff, and he said some stuff that he shouldn't have said. We don't have the Unabomber. He didn't blow up anybody's house. Don't.
0: I know who he's talking about, and, yeah, that guy really did cross the line. He really, really yeah, I know exactly what this is referring to.
2: Worry, we, we, And we had to talk to some church members that did some things. We're, we're like, listen, guys, we don't fight these people. I had a conversation this week with Rick Warren. You might have heard of him. He wrote a really good book.
0: Uh, yeah, and he's not the Messiah, and he's a sinful human being, and he twists God's word really badly in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. That's why we can't recommend it here. Again, notice the, notice the commonality in the critiques here.
2: And we were talking through this, and I get some coaching from him. He's an incredible godly man. He said, Perry, let me give you three things to do outlove, outlive, and outfruit your critics. Outlove. Outlove. Outlive.
0: Outlive. That means live longer than them. And outfruit. And I'm telling you, outfruit them. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like the quintessential uh, Rick Warren, you know, bit of well.
2: Use we, the <laughs> church, please listen to me. We're not called to fight battles. We're called to preach the gospel, and that's where our focus needs to be. Let me tell you why this means so much. Because right after this happened at Chick-fil-A, right after this event, a, two girls walk up to me. One girl's like, can I say hi to you? <laughs> you just did. <laughs> she said, I don't want to bother you. I can see you're with your family. She said, but I just wanted you to know that um, I came to New Spring. I've been there a few times. I'm from South Africa. And I have came to New Spring. It's blessed me so much. I've received Christ. Since being here, and uh, today I'm leaving. I'm, I'm like she's like she's going on and she's going back to South Africa. But I'm like, here's a girl from South Africa, comes through here, receives Christ, and God said, "That's what you're about." Now I wanted to look at the girls right here and go, "Did you hear that?" Ah-ha! Here's your pickle, but I didn't.
0: Well, actually, don't you think that you just did? <sighs> confused again he tells a great story and hey i'm glad to hear that uh, somebody's confessing christ from south africa however i would ask the question uh, what was the service and at this point were you twisting god's word and were you pressuring people to quote make a decision for jesus if that's the case then uh that did they really did the scowl really repent of her sins and uh, tr- and come to faith in Christ, where she trusts in Christ alone for the forgiveness of her sins. It's a valid question, considering we've actually analyzed the quote call of the gospel that you give there at Newspring, and it's um, not in accord with what the Bible teaches. But just something that we've noticed. We're called to preach the gospel. Amen. You are Th- that, and the reason why you have critics is because you're kind of falling down on that one.
2: And so let me, just, let me just kind of coach you. If you see people and bloggers and stuff, don't fight with these people. Because here's the deal. If we're wrong, if we're wrong and we're doing it wrong, God will, God will like blow this place up and one they can come celebrate the bonfire.
0: Actually, that would be quite tragic. And no, um, there's no passage of the Bible that says if you're preaching false doctrine that your church will be blown up and, or anything like that. Um, so no, it doesn't say that in the Bible and that's not correct. Again, we're capable of opening a Bible, Perry, and looking at what God's word says and comparing what you're saying God's word says to what the, you know, the text says. And that's the reason why you have, um, critics. Now I want to point something out to you here from his, from the pajama plate pages blog, they quote, uh, this, um, uh, Perry Noble's blog, where he quotes Rick Warren, he, that Rick Warren coached him to uh, respond to his critics by dot fighting with them. Uh, see Nehemiah chapter six, verses one through four. But as Rick Warren says, we out love them, we outlive them, and we outfruit them. Well, Nehemiah chapter six, verse one through four. And this is, by the way, he's quoting this from uh, uh, you know on his blog. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Gershom uh, sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at uh, Hakim and the plain of Anon, and they intended to do me harm. And I sent my messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should I stop the work while I leave it and uh, come down to you? And they sent uh, to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. So, quoting uh, Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Now, the Pajama Pages blog does a fine job of pointing something out here. Now, quoting this passage sounds nice, except for the outlive them bit, but Noble's proof texting completely contradicts his do not fight advice. This passage is a favorite of pastors like Perry Noble. But the problem is that most of his critics are not analogous to Nehemiah's enemies. As I've explained in more detail a few months ago, he actually links to it. Uh Nehemiah was responding to a lie. Nehemiah did reply to his critics, and Nehemiah faced real mortal enemies who plotted to take his life. That's right. These I, I got bad news for um Perry Noble. Um those who are critiquing him are not plotting to take his life. <laughs> They're not. In calling for uh, passivity, Noble once again uh, paints his critics as enemies of God. So long as he keeps doing that, why would he honestly expect his followers would take his advice seriously? At the beginning of his coaching session, Noble acknowledged that he is a controversial character. So we assume uh, that no one should be surprised that he attracts some criticism. Instead of defending his controversial behaviors and beliefs, his arguments to his congregations are roughly as follows. One, people don't like Perry. Are not really Christians. Uh, two, don't read their blogs or even try to persuade them that we're uh, that we're right. God will stop us if we're wrong. Perry's warning against fighting isn't really terribly persuasive, especially given uh, what else he said. He starts the illustration by asking God if he could fight a young woman who had a fast food restaurant at a fast food restaurant. Uh, it was Chick fil A. Who wasn't even uh, talking to Perry. The only reason that he didn't is because God told him. <laughs> After Noble sent up a quick prayer request that he, uh, that he couldn't, he then claims that his critics are sons of Satan, and then he tops off the whole performance by wanting to hurl food at the young woman after hearing the testimony uh, of another young lady. If this man were your boss, what kind of response do critics uh, do you think would impress him most? Uh-huh. A while back, I asked, when you call us sons and daughters of the devil, what kinds of passions do you unleash and endorse among your true believers? based on his report of misadventure among his staff and church members we anth- uh, the answer appears to be not good ones find blog, blog post by the guys at the pajamapages.com and uh again listen uh we have nothing to fear from critics um i i find engaging critics to actually be a a a very good use of my time and the reason i say that is because it drives me further in scriptures and it causes me to uh, look into the scriptures to make sure that what I'm saying and what I'm teaching and what I'm doing are in accord with what the scriptures say. And again, the best critics I have are the ones who point to something that I've overlooked and may not have considered. And so where I've actually been, well, you know, wrong. And so we have nothing to fear from critics. In fact, uh, having critics is a blessing from God and not a curse. All right, we are up on our second break. And when we come back, we're going to uh, do our sermon review. Unfortunately, we're not going to get to our secret code thing or the thing from the Pyromaniacs blog. I'm going to hold those over probably until Monday because I think I'm going to do uh, Friday Light again tomorrow. But, uh, you know, just want to let you know that. So uh, we, I've got two stories for Monday. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> I talk about planning ahead there. Yeah, I you know forget the fact that I'm a procrastinator. Anyway, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook or follow me on Twitter. Facebook's Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or uh, Twitter is just you know, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
1: Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio.
0: What if the entire resurrection was a hoax? Well, that's the premise of the book, A Skeleton in God's Closet. Written by Paul L. Meyer, the story is about Dr. Jonathan Weber a Harvard professor and biblical scholar who's looking forward to a sabbatical year on an archaeological dig in Israel. But a spectacular find that seems to be an archaeologist's dream come true becomes a nightmare that could be the death rattle of Christianity. This book is carefully researched and compellingly written. A Skeleton in God's Closet explores the tension between doubt and faith, science and religion, and one man's determination to find the truth no matter what the cost said Paul Erdman of the New York Times with A Skeleton in God's Closet Paul Meyer has created a new genre the theological thriller it reads like Robert Ludlum while expertly exploring the origins of Christianity it's a superb book A Skeleton in God's Closet is available at piratechristianradio.com. dot com. It's right there on the homepage. It's available for fourteen ninety nine plus four ninety five shipping and handling. And all proceeds support the ongoing work of Pirate Christian Radio. Visit piratechristianradio.com dot com and get your copy of "A Skeleton in God's Closet" today. Are you tired of lousy service? When you need help with repairs around the house, Angie's List members will help you decide which service companies to trust and which ones to avoid. Kiplinger said Angie's List is a virtual backyard fence with talk about the dry cleaner, the drywaller, and everything in between. With Angie's List, you get access to great local reviews on their website, live support through their call center, the award-winning Angie's List magazine, and access to their complaint resolution team, as well as discounts from highly rated service companies. If you'd like to find out more about Angie's List and their unbiased reviews of service companies and doctors in your area, then call them toll free at 877-225-0478 again that's 877-225-0478 call Angie's list today and you'll be done with lousy service forever all right we are back you are listening to fighting for the faith hour number 2 sermon reviewed to- Now, i got good news. You're going to hear the gospel in this sermon. I just want to let you know that. And it's in the text. The reason I picked this one is because it's a little bit of a a jumble, if you would.
1: Alright, let's dive right into our sermon review time.
0: good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We do not discriminate in that sense. Today's sermon comes to us courtesy of C3 Church, Clayton, North Carolina, Pastor Matt Fry. And the name of the sermon is uh, Experiencing Uprising. Now I have to say it that way because if you saw the sermon art, uh, 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 artwork, it's not uprising, it's "Up." rising. You know, you got to distinguish between the two. And this he's this is the first in a sermon series apparently about the book of Ephesians. So they're going to be working through uh, the book of Ephesians now. I picked this one because I want you to pay close attention to what he's doing with the text. Keep in mind um it's a good thing he's preaching through the text, but let's see what he's doing with the text and how he's going to handle it. Because it's not normal, uh, purpose-driven, seeker-driven um, sermon fare, if you would, to uh, be preaching through a book of the Bible. Unless, of course, it's the Song of Solomon, which I'm convinced is the, uh, now the official book of the Bible of the seeker-driven movement. Yeah, you don't know what I'm talking about go to a littleleven.com and click on the Christian Erotica wing you'll know what I'm talking about all right let's let's kill that music will we yeah thank you all right so uh, without any further ado, here is the experiencing an Uprising from Matt Fry of C3 Church Clayton North Carolina
2: thanks for tuning in
0: to this podcast from C3 Church in Clayton North Carolina. We hope this week's message inspires and strengthens your walk with Jesus Christ. For more information, check out our website at c3church.com.
3: Y'all doing good this morning? Good to see you. Welcome to C3 Church. We're so glad you're here. We're we're launching a brand new series today called Uprising. Uprising. And uh, I love new series. I love whenever the first weekend of a new series, and just believing God that He's going to do great things. We've called this uprising because we're praying that God will bring an uprising in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, in our communities. And in this series, we're going to take a look at one book in the Bible. We're going to spend several weeks on just one book, and that's the Book of Ephesians. I do want to welcome all of you for uh, being worshiping with us today. We have many right now off-site, either at C3Raleigh or on C3Church.com. Can we give a huge, big welcome to all those who have joined us? <clears throat> I'm so pumped that you guys have joined us. Wherever you are, we pray that you can experience God's power and His love uh, right now as you worship Him with us. So as we're looking at this series, Uprising, I looked up what the word uprising literally means, and it's defined as an act of rising, a steep place, an ascent. And so our prayer is that God would really ascend us to a new level. How many of you know God loves to do new things? He loves to take us places that we've never been before.
0: Uh, uh, I don't see that in the Bible. Yeah, God likes to take us to places where we've never been before. Uh, yeah, what about the folks who for like, you know, millennia, uh, they, they'd never left a 24-mile radius of where they were born?
3: Yeah. And we allow the God's power to work in us and through us. There is no limit to what God can do. We allow? <clears throat> now, speaking of rising up to new level and believing that God's going to bring a a, a, just a freshness and a a power to our lives and to our church, I just want to tell you that right now as we begin this series that you guys are an example of a church that is rising up. You are an example of a church that is really doing great things. In fact, over the last couple of months, we invited you to be a part of serving on a ministry team. We have a, a value here that every member is a minister. And every Christian should serve and should use their gifts and talents and passions for God. And and so we had a chance for you to sign up. I want you to know, you know, most churches, about 20% of the people do 80% of the work, right? Well, at C3, we've had over 900 people who have signed up to serve on a ministry team throughout this whole year.
0: That is incredible. It's- a little gratuitous pat on the back. Uh, dude, get into the text. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Go, go, go get into the text. You're supposed to be preaching here.
3: It's not perfect, but it's incredible. And uh, if you have not signed up for a ministry team, it's not too late. You can jump on board, and we're going to have a big party at the end, a big dream team party uh, in May, and I can't wait. Uh, uh, what? Uh, 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 okay. Okay to celebrate with you as we serve together and build his kingdom. So don't do life without serving. I'm glad you're mentioning him. That would be God, because it sounds like all the things you're supposed to be doing. Where does God come in again? Without giving back to God and, and serving others. We also have in this series, what we're going to do is as we launch the series, I'll be speaking on the weekends, and then connect groups will be meeting uh, in various places, pr- primarily in homes, and they'll be taking... Uh, what we talk about on the weekend to a whole nother level. And you'll, you'll receive a lot of incredible information and, and, and inspiration on the weekends. But then as you gather in, in small groups and connect groups, you're going to have a chance to really apply it and live it out. So if you have not signed up for a connect group, this weekend is a great time to sign up. In fact, even right now, you can go ahead and sign up uh, for a connect group. They launched this week. Uh, there's a response card in the seat in front of you. Just When you fill that out, just check off the box that says Connect Groups. Then you can put that in the offering. And you can go out to the lobby and get information on all the Connect Groups. And they're meeting all different times of the week in different places all over the region. There's probably a Connect Group that meets close to where you live. So get plugged in and let's watch God do an amazing work in our lives. Let's not just have information, but let's have inspiration with a- application which will lead to an acceleration come on somebody
0: we're supposed to clap for that it really sounds kind of tortured and forced
3: that's what we're praying for by the way let me remind you that you can talk back to me all right I, some of y'all like you didn't grow up in a church like that that's all right you're set free now look at the person next to you and say you're set free all right, you can say amen, praise God, preach it, pastor, come on somebody, whatever you want. Whatever your flow is. Or you don't have to say anything, but if you want to say something, on three, say the phrase that you like to say. Ready? One, two,
0: three. Uh, preach Christ and him crucified for our sins and get get into the text, sir.
3: Yeah. That was good, man. That was awesome. About half of y'all acted like Presbyterians, but the rest of y'all. That's all right, man. God loves everybody. So. I'm not picking on Presbyterians. I grew up in a Baptist church, and they hardly ever said that too, right?
0: Five minutes. We are five minutes into the sermon. Five minutes.
3: Ugh. All right, so we're going to look at the book of Ephesians. Now, I've got to give you a little background on the book of Ephesians.
0: All right, finally, we're switching gears. Good. I want to hear some background
3: on the book of Ephesians. This is, because this is, some, this is okay stuff here. Okay, Ephesians most believe that Paul wrote it. Uh, that he wrote it from prison. There, are, there is some debate on that um, because it wasn't personalized. Most of Paul's letters were personalized. But let me let me explain why this one wasn't. It was written to Ephesus. That's why it's called Ephesians, right? Ephesus is modern-day Turkey, which is now 99% Muslim. Just met a, uh, spent some time this last week with... Uh, actually, it was written to the churches in Ephesus. The, a guy who is from Turkey... And moved to America as a teenager, came to know Christ as a Savior, and now is the president of a seminary. Isn't that incredible how God can take somebody from Turkey and, and from a, a religion that's far from Jesus, and they can receive Christ as their Savior, and now they're training up other leaders. Isn't that awesome? Anything is possible with God. So it was written to Ephesus. Now, it was a, what most people would call a circular letter. Okay, I'm just trying to give you a little background here before we dive into this book. It was considered a circular letter. In other words, it was not written to just one church. Paul wrote this so that it could be used in multiple locations. It could be used on multiple campuses. In fact, it was kind of like a multi-site church, you know? That is not the
0: right way of looking at it. It was Paul was not using this in, as the sermon. It, it, that's it, oh man.
3: <sighs> we continue like C three. We're one church with two locations. Everybody say one church with two locations. We are in Clayton and we are in Raleigh. In just a few minutes, Raleigh C three Raleigh is going to be cranking up, and I, today I'm going to be there live. I'm
0: never misses an opportunity to talk about himself and his church, does he?
3: When I get done preaching, here's one reason why I'm up a little bit earlier this service, because I'm going to leave here. We're going to drive to to Raleigh, and we're going to make a a, a 30-minute trip in about 10 minutes. (laughs) We're asking God for favor and safety. (laughs) And then I'll be back here for the 1130 service, God willing, and I'll be preaching at the 1130 service live. And, uh, but most weekends we videotape Saturday night and then Raleigh w- will get the video. And let me go ahead and tell you right now, this is kind of a, not only the beginning of a new series, it's also be- the beginning of a new season. We have been one church, two locations, and Raleigh has been primarily getting video pretty much every week, but now that- that's going to change. A couple things are going to happen. Uh,
0: I promise you, you're actually going to hear the gospel because he's going to read it out of the text. I, I promise we're going to get there. It's... Apparently, he's got more important things to do than actually, you know, preach the word. <sighs>
3: happen. Number one, I'm going to be preaching live up there a little bit more in addition to Clayton. Another thing that's going to happen is probably every Sunday morning service, about once a month, maybe once every two months. We're not really sure yet. We'll probably get video from my message that I preach on Saturday night, especially if it's really anointed. All right. Because that anointing will overflow. Right. And, and so. So we were gonna we're gonna embrace technology, kind of like Paul did. He wrote one letter. Are you with me? And it was sent. He only read it once. He didn't write it ten times, but he it was sent to multiple locations, and they were able to multiply the impact of what Paul's words were.
0: Uh, you do know that this uh, letter is also read in just every single church in Christendom to this day, right? Because you know it's scripture.
3: So that's why it was sent to different locations. And that's one reason why it was not necessarily specific to one location or one church. Now, Ephesians is broken up into six chapters. Everybody say six. All right. The first half of Ephesians, the first three chapters are more about biblical truths, more about doctrine, more about. Uh, some incredible information that we must understand, really kind of laying a foundation.
0: Okay, listen carefully to why, the way he discusses doctrine. It's information that we really need to understand. I think that's a pretty shallow view of doctrine.
3: The last half of the book is extremely practical, is extremely relevant. That's where you, we Paul talks about the marriage and the family and fathers and and, and mothers and kind of an insight in how
0: they view doctrine and practical, practical, it can really help us out. Doctrine, yeah, it's just information you need to know. You can, you can hear the way he's talking about it in the sermon here. Again, you're going to hear the gospel. It's in the text he's going to read. Trust me, it's there.
3: And husbands and wives and how the church should function. And then it comes to the end. Chapter six was one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. You can tell a lot about a book by reading the last chapter. And if you read the last chapter of Ephesians, that's where he talks about putting on the full armor of God so that you can withstand the devil's schemes and so we can be a part of an uprising. That's one reason why we call it uprising. So the first three chapters... Is it me or is it like, you know, he's really trying
0: hard to make this relevant, so we're going to call it uprising. Uprising. Why couldn't you just name it a study on Ephesians? Oh, I know cuz that's just not that that the marketing team wouldn't let you do that.
3: Chapters are really more about the why. Everybody say the why. And the last 3 chapters are more about the what. Everybody say the what. So you got to know about the why before you do the what. Some people just want the what. What should I do? But Paul's given us the why so when we get to chapter 4, we're going to really know why we're doing what we're doing.
0: Actually he preaches the gospel and lays out the gospel for us and the what we do is in response to that the gospel and the fact that Christ has raised us from the dead the holy spirit has regenerated us dead sinners and you know replaced our heart of stone with a heart of flesh you know that kind of thing.
3: <sighs> that was deep for a 9:30 service wasn't it? it was- That was deep for me. No. All right. Ephesians chapter one, and let's kick it off in verse three. We're only going to hit a few verses this morning, and we won't hit every verse in the whole book of Ephesians, or we'd be studying this for like three years.
0: Okay, you're doing a study on Ephesians, and you're skipping over stuff, and your justification for skipping over things is that if you read all of the verses, you'd be there for three years? I'm not buying it. In fact, um, to kind of prove my point here, what I'm going to do, uh, Matt, is any time you start telling a long-winded story that actually isn't about what's in the Book of Ephesians, I'm going to just keep a tr- keep track of the time uh, to see if you would have had uh, if you would have had ample time to actually, you know, read the entire thing of Ephesians. You know, just I just want to see if you're being sincere here. I mean, you know, because six chapters, I mean, taking three years?
3: So, but we are going to hit a lot of it. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. I want to—I want you to notice four things today. Four areas that God wants to work in our life. Four ways that he wants to work in our life so that we can see an uprising in our lives and in our relationships. The first uh, one is this. Uh, hang on. We will begin to...
0: This is an example of where your marketing and uh, the way you're packaging the sermon is getting in the way of the text. Uh we're not going to listen, this is, reading Ephesians is not about you having an uprising. Sorry, um that's not at all
3: what there. Um so we continue. Experience an uprising in our lives when we begin to praise him for his blessings. See, what happens is when you begin... To... We
0: experience an uprising when we praise him for his blessings. Yeah, I'm not seeing that in the text. Let me, uh, we'll start Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To the, by the way, that's important because it kind of sets up verse 3. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from our from God our father and the lord jesus christ nice stuff blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places no, notice right here verse 3 is not a contingent we can have an uprising if or when we learn how to uh, thank god for his blessings no Ephesians chapter one three is proclaiming the blessings that we have in Christ, uh, and saying that we have been blessed. Uh, you know, Christ, God, God the Father has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heaven places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in His, uh, blameless before Him. Uh, you see, there's gospel right there. that He chose us in him to be holy and blameless before him. How are we holy and blameless? Well, through Christ's righteousness that's imputed to us uh, as a result of uh, God giving us the gift of faith, leading us to repentance and giving us faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. You know, We are covered now with the perfect righteousness of Christ, and we are declared righteous in him. So notice right off the bat, he's thinking in law terms. You can experience an uprising. I have no idea what... Why would I want to experience an uprising? Uh, am, am I some kind of an experience collector? Are experiences like trophies I can put on my shelf? You know, kind of go, you know, look at my trophy shelf here. I, You know, uh, I actually experienced skydiving or I experienced... Uh, Uh, wearing the sombrero at uh, El Rodeo, and uh, on my birthday, and they sang happy birthday to me in
3: Spanglish. Uh, hmm. To praise God for his blessings, when you start focusing on how God has blessed you rather than what you need, then there's going to be an uprising that's going to come from the inside out.
0: That's not what the text says. If, then, no, Paul is reminding us of the blessings that we have, namely that we are blameless in God's sight because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. How many
3: of you know that we are blessed? How many of you feel very blessed?
0: Uh, Are you going to point us to the blessing that's in the text itself? You know, all right.
3: If you have Jesus Christ in your heart as your personal Savior, you are blessed. It's about what's in your heart, not what's in your bank account.
0: <laughs> Nothing in the text is pointing me to my heart. It's pointing us to the fact that, uh, let me see, blessed be the God. It's, uh, God is being blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. Not that he's in us, but we're in him who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace in which he has blessed us in the beloved in, in Christ in him. That's in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. That's what the text says. Nothing. Uh, why aren't you pointing me to that?
3: It's about what's in your heart, not what you have. You,
0: you do understand what's in my heart is sin. What's in your heart is sin. Jesus said out of the heart comes all kinds of vile, wicked stuff adulteries, murders, things like that.
3: When you have the power of God in your life, there is no greater blessing than that. Because when you see the power of God work in your life, and he does an uprising, and you begin to praise him for what he has done and for who he is, rather than... Why is it that he's not actually exegeting the text? What is it with these guys? They read a text, and
0: then they, they just completely ignore what it says.
3: Focusing on what you don't have or what you need or what your problem is or poor little me. All of a sudden, you stop focusing on your situation and you start focusing on God's blessings. Then all of a sudden, you forget about what's going on in your life. And all of a sudden, you can feel like you can conquer anything.
0: Uh, um, That's not what the text says. I I need my cows again.
3: Come on. I got I got one, Amen. That was I'll I'll take it. Every preacher will take one. Look what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Everybody say every. Every, every spiritual blessing. Love, joy, peace.
0: Uh, those are fruits of the Spirit. The one that he, the, the thing, blessing he's referring to here is the forgiveness of sins. We Keep reading. Stay in the context, dude. You're talking fruit, not root here. ay 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 These guys don't know how to stay tethered to a text, do they?
3: We see all the fruits of the Spirit. We see all the blessings that can come from Christ. That it's not just a financial blessing. We're talking about Blessings that are far more valuable than what money can buy.
0: Yeah, verse 7 says, the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. That, you know, our adoptions as sons through what Christ has done, that we're holy and blameless before God. Those are the blessings listed. You should be talking about
3: those things. Money can buy a house. Only God can make a home. You know, people can buy things, but only God can give you what's really, what really matters in your life. What's with all the slogans here? Can
0: you uh, tell me what the text says? Stick to the text. Stick to the text. What's the text say?
3: You slipped into slogan mode. This is what politicians do. What really counts? You might be thinking, well, I don't really feel... Very blessed. <laughs> Honestly, I kind of raised my hand. I said, "Amen," but I, I don't really feel blessed right now. I'm going through a hard time. I'm going through a dry spell. I just feel, even spiritually. Maybe you're saying, "I don't even really feel." Well, point them to the blessings listed in the passage: the forgiveness of sins, uh,
0: their adoptions as sons. You know, they're being chosen before the foundations of the world. Yeah, being blameless before God because of the imputed righteousness of Christ. I mean, it's all right there
3: blessed right now i don't really feel like i'm experiencing god you know we need what is with the experience thing
0: stop navel gazing and and focusing on your experiences
3: good night need to remember what god has done right right he's died on the cross for our sins and reflect on how blessed we really are yes 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 gospel can you hear the gospel even as we look at other people in other places around the world, a very emotional meeting just a couple of weeks ago.
0: It had so much potential, by the way, I got to make a note here of when this starts. Cause uh, remember he said they can't teach the whole thing. Okay. Got it.
3: <clears throat> and, um, I, I forget. I was in my office and I, I, I was doing my normal schedule and, and I heard somebody talking outside my office and, my assistant came in and said, somebody is here. didn't know if you wanted to come out and, and say hi to them. And they told me who it was. I said, yeah, absolutely. So I came out. And it was one of the missionaries that, that we have been supporting here for many years at C3 that are missionaries in Africa. Her and her husband are with Africa Inland Mission. And he um, is an airplane mechanic. That's, his, that's his, the way he serves God. And so he repairs these planes. And fixes them so that they can go into uh, areas that you can't get to on feet, and they take the gospel to places, unreached places that only you can only get through, get to by an airplane. So he fixes and then keeps these planes maintained so that they can get the gospel in certain places. Well, <clears throat> I already knew that their family had experienced a tragedy. They, her husband, and she didn't even realize he was on this particular flight took a short 30-minute flight with some Americans who were doing a videography. They were kind of doing a documentary on Africa and and the poverty. And so they were going to take a a short 30-minute flight over some poor areas, some slums, and they were going to come right back. Well, Dawn got word that, that her husband was in an accident. At first, she thought it was a car accident. She didn't even realize he was on the plane. What happened was when they were in the air and they had to switch planes the last minute, And everything was going great. This plane was was checked out well. But something happened in the air, and it just died. And there wasn't enough time to get it. They were flying so low to take pictures, there wasn't enough time to restart it. So they did a safe landing, which two of the four survived, but the pilot died instantly. And her husband, Ryan, who uh, was a passenger in the front, was gotten out of the plane but was severely burned. They took him to the hospital. They said, it's just minor burns. Not a big deal. Later on, they realized he had been misdiagnosed. He was severely burned, sent to another hospital. And about a week later, after the incident, he passed away. Young guy, four young children, all under the age of eight. And I'm talking to this young mom. And she's sharing with me. I said, do you mind just sharing with me how you're doing and what's going on? And and, and she just began to share her calling and how her children just can't wait to get back to Africa and keep serving God. And the more that we talked and the more information that I heard, I realized that this precious young lady who had committed her God, not only to God, but to missions around the world, was not focusing on what had happened and what she didn't have, but she was focusing on God and what she does have. And I was just absolutely blown away. For example, she said that her husband, when he was burned, because of the burns, all of his fingers were burned off. Well, he's an airplane mechanic. And she said, how horrible if he were to have survived this accident, that he would have to live the rest of his life without fingers. And that's what he does. She's like, so in a way, I'm kind of glad and thankful that God took him home. So he wouldn't have to live the rest of his life without fingers and do the things that he's feels called to do. Yeah, but see, the
0: thing is, is that uh, Ephesians isn't telling us in this section that you're reading to just count our generic blessings. It's pointing us to the very real blessings we have in Christ: Christ's imputed righteousness, our adoption as sons, our election uh, before the foundations of the earth, um, and our forgiveness of our trespasses. They're all right there in the first seven verses. Hey ayay. Yeah, 17. Uh, hang on a second here. Uh that that was uh, def that was 4 minutes uh that was a 4 minute long anecdote. I think that would have been plenty of time that if he you know he could have easily preached the first 3 verses uh that he decided to skip around. remember he said he, he, it would take him uh, 3 years to preach through Ephesians. I just found an extra 4 minutes um that he could have easily stuck some more verses in there.
3: Ay. Can I tell you, I left that meeting, I was crying, prayed for her. Martha was there as well. We're just very emotional. I left that meeting, it's like I didn't really care what was happening next. All of a sudden, you know, things that maybe five minutes before that were kind of on my mind or I was concerned about, I just, gone. All of a sudden I realized, you know what, I am so blessed. Aren't we blessed Hey, how about we give God praise and thank him for how much he has blessed us. When I was a kid, we would sing this hymn. I grew up in a, in a small church and we we would sing this hymn. Maybe he did as well, but the hymn was count your blessings, count your many blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings. See what God has done. Count your many blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings and see what God has done. You know that those words, that hymn, sometimes I just reflect on them. Anytime I'm tempted to complain, anytime I'm tempted to worry, anytime I'm tempted to focus on my needs or my hurts, I just begin to go, God, I'm going to start counting my blessings and have me know our, the blessings that he gives us far outnumber the challenges, and the hurts that we might be dealing with.
0: Yeah, but remember, Matt, you're actually preaching through the book of Ephesians, and you are in the first section of Ephesians chapter 1, and it's not calling us to count our generic blessings one by one, but it lists some very specific blessings. Forgiveness of sins, election, things like that.
3: I've discovered the more I focus on God, The more I praise him for what I do have and for his blessings, the less I focus on me.
0: Well, so far I'm hearing you focusing quite a bit on you. Um, hmm. I heard a story about a guy who... um, Hold on, got to make a note here. Hang on. Uh, Noting when he started this particular story, just to see if there's enough extra room in his sermon that he could actually preach the entire book of Ephesians, which he said he couldn't do because it would take him three years.
3: He was poor and he couldn't even. He needed some new shoes. He had holes in his shoes and he so needed some new shoes and even his family needed shoes. And he says, I was feeling sorry for myself because I had no shoes until I saw a man who had no feet. It's all about counting our blessings, and being thankful for what God has done. The second thing that we need to have in our lives, according to the Scripture, if we're going to experience an uprising is is we will... Again,
0: the purpose of the book of Ephesians is not the things you need to do in order to, quote, experience an uprising. This is a false premise of this particular stu- study in this sermon.
3: We'll experience an uprising in our lives when we realize how much he loves us. Do you realize that God loves you? Do you realize that he is crazy in love with you? Do you realize that God is passionately in love with you? Do you realize that God pursues before you even existed, before you were even born, God had you on his mind, and he says, I love you.
0: (sighs) Okay, um, the semi-erotic talk about Jesus is making me a little bit squeamish.
3: So the Bible says that it's not that we first loved God, but that he first loved us.
0: Right. And how does he show his love for us? A little crosstalk here.
3: 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us and his love satisfies. Uh,
0: yeah, but how does he show his love for us? How? How? It's not just some generic uh, in-the-sky ethereal love uh, that the Bible's proclaiming. It's, it's proclaiming a very specific uh, kind of love demonstrated in a very specific way. Any idea what that would be?
3: Taste and see that God is good. And when you're filled with God's love, can I tell you his love satisfies? When you enter into a personal love relationship with God, there is nothing more fulfilling. There
0: is nothing more. When you enter into a personal love relationship with God, could you give me a verse on that one?
3: More satisfying. There's nothing, there's no drug, there's no anything in this world that can fill the void that Jesus can. And he loves you so much. This last week, I was in Florida with The Ark leadership Uh, again, Matt. um, The text itself uh,
0: demonstrates; uh, it very specifically says how God blesses us and how He loves us. How come you're
3: not focusing on what Ephesians says? Team, and we plant churches together, and and uh, our goal is to plant 2,000 churches by 2020. We've already planted almost 150 in just a few years, and hoping to plant 100 more next year, just in one year alone. And so we're Praying and sharing and talking. And while we we're there, we went out to dinner one night at this restaurant. Re- restaurant. What was that? Restaurant. <laughs> That's appropriate because it was Texas Day Brazil. It's a restaurant. We're getting some, <laughs> getting some steak, y'all. And, uh, <laughs> and so we went, man. If you ever been to one of those steakhouses like the Brazil deal, the Brazil steakhouses where it's just like total meat fest. I mean, they just keep bringing meat out and meat out. I had every kind of meat from around the world. If you're on the Atkins diet, this is like heaven. <laughs> Where it's just like total meat. I had more protein. I had a year's worth of protein in one day. If I don't eat another piece of meat the rest of the year, I think I've got enough protein. We had this little deal, and at first I, did, I forgot totally about it. And it and it's like a, looks like a coaster, and on one side it's green. And you flip it over, and the other side's red. And when, when you, you feel like you've had enough or you want to take a break, you just flip it over to red. Well, I I forgot. I thought it was a coaster. So they just kept bringing this meat out and piling it on my plate, man. I just like eating like I hadn't eaten all year, man. It was awesome. <laughs> it was good, y'all. I mean, it was some spicy hot sausage. That was good. Some flaming. Oh man, it was so good.
0: All right, just found another three and a half minutes that he could have used to actually preach a little bit more of Ephesians. In there's a lot of filler in this uh, sermon, apparently, and yet he claims he can't preach the entire book of Ephesians because it would take him uh, three years. I'm just not buying it. Just not buying it.
3: Garlic sirloin. I had lamb. I didn't know what lamb was, but it's good. <laughs> all this kind of me. I just put it on there. So I was eating. We left, man. We kind of all of us kind of waddled out to the car. You know, we we're just like burping and. Loosen up our belt buckle. Should have wore stretchy pants, <laughs> but they don't look too cool. Oh,
0: I, I hang on. I, I, I'm sorry. This is a secret driven sermon. That means the entertaining stories are more important than the text of the Bible.
3: i sorry, I forgot. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we got back to the hotel, and some of the guys were just joking, you know, because it was just so we were so stuffed. We're like, man, I'm hungry, aren't you? I was like, yeah, man, why don't we go to Taco Bell and get, like, a big bean burrito? Everybody's like, <laughs> It It's like, just the thought of that was like, no way. Can I tell you, we were so filled and so fulfilled that nothing looked appetizing. Taco Bell, and I love Taco Bell. I can I can tear up one of those burritos.
0: I'm so glad to know that about you. You know, I, I, that was going to be my second question that I was going to ask you right after I met you for the first time. So I don't, I don't have to ask that, but I can check it off the list. Okay, nice.
3: Those Burrito Supremes. Can I tell you Bojangles? And I love Bojangles. It didn't look...
0: Smith. Extra six minutes now. On top of the four that I found earlier.
3: Smithfield Barbecue. I could have said no to, Nothing looked good... On the way home, I was not having a Big Mac attack because I was filled up and I felt like God said, you know what, when you're filled with my love, Oh,
0: that's how you justify it. See, in the middle of the story, when he was, you know, then he was so satisfied, he felt like God was saying, see, that just baptizes the whole thing. I don't think he was thinking about God, uh, you know, when his during this thing at all. No. I feel like God was saying, "See that? That means God's talking to you." you Got to exegete those things that you think God's saying. Yeah, too bad they're not in the Bible.
3: All of a sudden, the things of this world just don't look very appetizing, do they? So I, I've tasted of God's love. I, I've ex- and what can you point
0: to a specific example of God's love? It's right there in the first seven verses of Ephesians. Anything come to mind, you know, forgiveness of sins, um, our election, the imputed righteousness of Christ, our adoption as sons, anything, just anything come to mind from the first seven verses of Ephesians.
3: Experience a love relationship with God. You know that over there, it used to look appetizing. It doesn't look appetizing anymore because I'm filled up. How many of you here today are filled up with God's love? You're overflowing with God's love, and you're thankful for His love here today.
0: Yeah, so filled up with it that you know you're not sinning anymore. That's kind of the unspoken conclusion of His uh, logical fallacy. We continue.
3: I know that I am, we don't deserve it, but I sure am thankful for it. Look at verse seven. It says, "In Him we have the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins."
0: Oh, finally, finally! Don't you think this would have that little point would have actually helped you out earlier? It, oh, oh. Yes, we have. The, I told you we we're going to hear the gospel in the sermon. I told you ahead of time. I knew He was going to teach it. Uh, yeah, yay, yeah, talk about not plugging it in the right place. Good night. Long way to go to
3: get to here. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Everybody say lavished. Everyone say forgiveness of sins. I love that word lavished. He lavished his love and his grace. You know what the word lavished means? It means extravagantly to god doesn 't want to just give us a little bit of love. He wants us to, He wants to lavish us with his love
0: uh, stick to the text. The text says how he lavished us are you, are you ready? Let's go back to verse 7. Dude, it's right there in front of you. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. It's not that he just loves us and lavishes us. He loves us and lavished us with the forgiveness of sins and redemption. I mean, we heard the gospel because it was there in the text, and he read it. Can we make it a primary point in your sermon there, dude?
3: The second thing, if we want to experience an uprising... No, apparently not. The second thing,
0: if you want to experience an uprising... What if I don't want to experience an uprising?
3: We will when we realize that God chose us. You realize that God chose you, the Bible says before. All right,
0: listen carefully. To that. <laughs> uh, it's, this is going to be confusion of monergism and synergism. It's just
3: sad. The world was even created. Look at verse 4. It says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So the Bible says that we are chosen, but we are chosen with a purpose. And what is that purpose? That purpose is
0: to be holy and blameless in his sight. How is that possible?
3: Is to be holy and blameless, to be set apart, to be a world changer. To...
0: No. When it talks about being holy and blameless in God's sight, how is that accomplished? By Christ's perfect righteousness being imputed to us. By Grace through faith. Read Philippians chapter 3. Not that we're world changers. That's not what being holy and blameless in his sight means.
3: To make a difference for God. So the Bible tells us in John chapter 15, in verse 16, it says, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Look at verse 11 of Ephesians 1. Just scroll down a few verses. In verse 11 it says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God has chosen you to make a difference. He has chosen you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ.
0: Now this chapter and these verses. Uh, no, it doesn't say that he's chosen us to make a difference. It says we he's chosen us to be holy and blameless in his sight. How is that possible? I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Uh, th- think about it. The cross. Christ dies for our sins. Our sins are imputed to him as if we're the ones who did it. He dies as our substitute. And when we when Christ grants us repentance and faith, his righteousness is given to us as a gift as if we're the ones who lived it. Not that we're world changers, whatever, or make a difference in the world. What does that sentence even mean? It doesn't mean anything. The reason I say that is because, uh, remember, Hitler was uh, Time Magazine's man of the year back in the 30s. Hitler made a difference. That guy, I mean, he got the trains in Berlin running on time. He made a difference. You see what I mean? He changed the world.
3: You see what I mean? Verses are some of the most controversial verses and subject in all of Christianity. In fact, whenever you say the words predestination and chosen, all of a sudden people start kind of wiggling in their seat. You know, if you understand, like some people, there's a couple of different views here. There's one view that God has chosen us before the creation of the world. And it's all kind of planned out ahead of time. And we have nothing to do with it. And the other extreme view is that, that uh, it's really all about us. It's all about what we can do and about, you know, choosing God. And, and he's just kind of waiting and he's not going to, you know, we're just, it's all about what we can do. and what.
0: Uh, the two views are called synergism and monergism. Synergism, you work hand in hand with God and save yourself. It's also known as the Pelagian heresy and it denies the doctrine of original sin that we are by nature sinful at war with God, dead in trespasses and sins, and not capable of choosing God, which, by the way, read John 1, the whole chapter. It makes it clear that uh, we're not born by our decision or our human will or anything like that, but we're born of God. Did you ask to be born? Did you choose to be born? No, you don't choose to be born again either. Your, your, Basically, your will is in bondage to the devil.
3: We continue but us pursuing God. How could the Bible say that God has chosen us and predestined us? And how could he also say that whoever, so whoever wants to can come in a relationship with him. Uh, The second statement actually is not in the Bible. Whoever will can come to me. Uh, Again, you
0: got to put that in context and Jesus makes it clear, no one comes to the Father, uh, it comes to me unless the Father draws him. The Greek word, by the way, there in, in uh, John chapter 6, that's what that's from. Uh, it says, Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father uh, who sent me draws him. The Greek word is helkuo, literally means you, know, you throw a rope around a statue. The the, uh, the idea behind helkuo is the thing being drawn or dragged will not or cannot have uh, come on its own. It has to be dragged. Like you drag a statue, you halkuo it. It can It has no ability to move itself. Just pointing some of the stuff out.
3: How can we have both of those? I have one simple answer. I don't know.
0: That's because you don't know theology, sir. You you have obviously not studied theology and doctrine. You, it's unbelievable.
3: <laughs> because I'm not God. And I stopped trying to figure out God a long time ago. Come on, somebody. How do we know he is a big God? What does
0: bigness have to do with it? Read his word. His word is so clear on this. No one comes to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one comes to the Father unless the, unless the Father enables him. Not born of a human will or a decision, but born of God. We are God's workmanship. Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. You see what I'm saying here? Um, you 're just being theologically
3: lazy How can we be chosen but have a free will? How can we be- we
0: don 't have a free will? The bible doesn 't teach that
3: be predestined, but at the same time we 're a part of pursuing God as he 's pursuing us i don
0: 't the bible doesn 't say that we 're a part of uh, god we 're pursuing God because he 's pursuing us it doesn 't say that
3: know all i know is if we're focused on reaching out to hurting people reaching out to people letting them know that god loves them and so do we god will take care of all that who's chosen and who's predestined and who whatever you know let's just make a difference for god
0: there we go again just just make a difference let's be completely theologically ignorant let's just not come down let's not let's just sit there and go i don't know i the bible teaches free will but it doesn't they've set up again they've created a doctrine here that doesn't exist and so they're going to hold on to it even though the text says differently
3: sometimes these things can be so distracting just mess you up look at the person next to you and say you're chosen God chose you. You know, that's a good feeling to feel like God chose me. He chose me to, to with a purpose in mind. That's an awesome feeling. And the purpose is to be holy and blameless
0: in his sight. Hmm. He did mention the cross. I mean, he didn't mention the forgiveness of sins because he read the text. I'm, I'm thinking he, he almost tripped over it.
3: When I was in elementary school, my favorite subject was...
0: All right, here we go. Another story starting. Uh, just kind of proving my point. He claimed he didn't have time to go through all of the verses in the book of Ephesians because it would take him three years. We're seeing if uh, that's actually holding out to be true. Hang on a second. Got to
3: mark the time. Got it. Here we go. P. <laughs> it's recess. I think I made an A in that one And so I would love to go out to recess. And I liked it when they did free time, you know. Free time is like you get to choose whatever game you want to do. And so a lot of us guys would want to play kickball. You guys know what kickball is? Man, it's like my favorite sport. I love kickball. I actually want to do it for a living. But then I realized you don't make any money at that. And so uh, you, you got this big kickball, big fluffy ball, and it's kind of like baseball only with a kickball. And so you kick the ball, then you run around the bases. And all. So, you, you know, you pick, typically pick two captains, right? And then you, you choose your teammates. And so you pick two captains, usually two of the best kickball players. And then they would choose one by one. They would draft. You know, some of you guys do fantasy football and stuff like that. And they would kind of draft their players. And you always want to be kind of the first one fit to be like, hey, I want, I want Matt. I'm like, I'm number one. First-round draft pick right here for kickball. At Tuscaloosa Elementary School. Come on. Number one. And then, but you always felt so sorry for the kid who was picked last. Man, I was just like, man, why don't you just, just for fun, why don't you just pick him first, you know? Yeah, I want the guy who, you know, can't, he's in a wheelchair. Let's, you know. <laughs> I, I want the kid who nobody, everybody picks last. I always feel sorry for him. Why can't we have him choose, you know? And I thought about that. I thought, you know what? In God's kingdom, everybody is chosen first. All people married to God. Red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in His sight. He loves you, and He has chosen you. You are picked. You're a first-round draft pick. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a first-round draft pick.
0: Uh, where is the discussion of sin? I mean, here we've got this this wonderfully loving and accepting God. Um, Nothing, just a ever-so-brief mention of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. Boy, I, this is the kind of sermon that could really stroke your ego.
3: Some of you girls are like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> this is what it means. It's like you're first in line to buy that dress that you want on sale. <laughs> or free. Because salvation's free. How about that? That was a good one, huh, Martha? That was good. God chose us. All right, number three, we experience an uprising in
0: our lives. No, we do not experience an uprising in our lives. That's nowhere in the text. The whole thing that you're marketing is ridiculous. Quit that. The purpose of Ephesians is not for us to experience an uprising in our lives.
3: When we realize that God adopted us, everybody say adopted See, realize that God not only loves us, not only has he chosen us, but he has also adopted us. Forgiven us. When we begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, God says, you are now in my family. You are now a child of the king. You are now a son or a daughter of the most high God. You now have the inheritance that I have. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news?
0: Yeah, I guess. That's gospel yeah.
3: How are you looking forward to the inheritance that we can get from God?
0: <sighs> oh, boy. That didn't sound good. How many are looking forward to the inheritance we can get from God? We're on the inside track. Let's just knock God off and we can get the inheritance. Yeah, that's what that sounded like to me.
3: Look at verse 5. It says, In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. We are now in the family of God. The Bible says that after you begin a relationship with Jesus, that you are a stranger or an alien on this planet. This is not our home. But our home is in heaven. See, to be a part of the family, God means it impacts our lives here. But even more than that, impacts our lives eternally. You are forever a part of God's family. Later on in that chapter, it says the Holy Spirit was given to us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The Holy Spirit's given to you as a deposit. And how do you know when God puts a deposit on something, he's going to follow through. You get a hundred percent guarantee on that deposit when he's given us the Holy Spirit we are guaranteed our inheritance congratulations and welcome to the family of God you are no longer of this world but you are a stranger and an alien do you realize that we are strangers some of us are stranger than others the other person next to you and say you're pretty strange <laughs> look to somebody else and say my pastor's strange too that's okay, I'm confident. I, I can handle it. Let's be stranger for Jesus. <laughs> I moved to North Carolina in 1983. I was a city boy. Moved to Johnson County. Smithfield, North Carolina. 1983. I just wanted to let
0: you know, I definitely got another another four minutes of filler here that he could have easily actually taught more of from Ephesians. Maybe the reason why he thought it would uh, take him three years to get through the book of Ephesians is because he thinks that his job is to, at every verse that he rips out of context, he needs to tell a story about.
3: <clears throat> that was before I 40. There was no I 40. I'm not even sure it was on the drawing board yet. I don't know. I grew up a city boy. I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. My dad was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. My mom was born and raised in New York. I was born in Arizona, raised in Nashville, Tennessee, right in the heart of the city. And I moved to Smithfield, North Carolina. Can I tell you culture shock? I felt like I was living in Mayberry RFD every day. I was seriously looking for Andy Griffith. Moved to North Carolina where the barbecue has vinegar in it. With a little spice. The hot dogs are red. Never had one of those before. Where ACC basketball dominates...
0: He sure does have a lot of stuff that has nothing to do with helping us understand what God's Word is actually teaching. I just wow, yeah, I learn a lot about you there Matt um you not helping me understand Ephesians very well though I am gonna give you on a scale of one to ten uh one and a half
3: and where the there are hog farms. They have an amazing odor. (laughs) I was like, Man, what is that smell? I didn't smell that yesterday. (laughs) Well, see, the wind wasn't blowing that way yesterday, it was (laughs) blowing the other way. It's blowing to the west today, so that's why it's got that smell. It's like, man, that's rough. Yeah, you get used to it after a while. I moved here in eighty three. It didn't happen overnight. But can I tell you, there's only one kind of barbecue, y'all. And it's got vinegar in it, and it's got spices in it, a little bit of Texas Pete with some hush puppies and some slaw. I'm preaching now.
0: (laughs) There is a... Uh, No, actually, you're not. That's really the sad and pathetic truth at this point.
3: There's only one kind of barbecue, and it's East Carolina barbecue. And can I tell you, I've grown to love red hot dogs. All hot dogs are red. They just ruin some of them. There's nothing like hot dog with the little... I cannot relate to any of this. It just... Um,
0: I mean, great. I mean, congratulations. Barbecue with vinegar in it, red hot dogs. Good on you, man. Just have no idea why you're wasting these people's time with this information when you've actually been given the task of opening up the very word of God and proclaiming God's revealed truth and opening up the mind of God and feeding God's sheep from his word. Instead, you're talking about barbecue and red hot dogs. Sad, really, just, this is sad.
3: Chili and slaw and onions on there. Mmm. My kids now, they're, they're raised right. They get real, it's a bad day when they don't have red hot dogs somewhere. You only got them fake brown ones? I want the red ones. I love red hot dogs, y'all. Got to be careful how many I eat, but they're good. And can I tell you, this Tennessee boy that football was, we, we had a football in our hands when we were born. I didn't even realize basketball was a sport never even played basketball except one year, like in a rec league, and it was the worst year of my life. Okay, we
0: are officially at the... um, I want to point something out here. I've been keeping track of all the filler in this sermon. He claimed he could not preach the entire book of Ephesians because it would take him three years. Uh, Officially at this point, half, half of his sermon is uh, artificial filler at this point, not biblical teaching. Um, I think he. Uh, I think he's uh, not telling us the truth.
3: Can't play basketball. Can't jump. I wrestled, but all of a sudden, can I tell you? I love ACC basketball. Do you realize this? One- Whoop de doo Who cares? This is one of the best places in the world to live. I mean, I don't care. Honestly, I don't care if it's Carolina, NC State, Duke, Wake Forest. If there's an ACC team playing, especially from North Carolina, I'm trying to rearrange my schedule because I want to watch that game. I love ACC basketball. You realize that people all around the planet are jealous of you because you live here? I kid you not. I mean, there are people, I hear it all the time, like, man, I can't believe
0: you. I'm not jealous of any of the people there as far as their church is concerned. I'm not sitting here going, wow, I, I wish I could be there at C3, man. So I didn't, you know, because I'm sick and tired of hearing the word of God. I, I'd rather
3: hear about Matt Fry. You get to live in Raleigh, man. You got ACC basketball. You got Carolina. You got Duke. You got NC State. You got Wake Forest. I'm like, "Yep, yeah, you're right. It's a great. That's why people are moving here from all over the world, y'all. That's not the only reason, but. So I've learned to love barbecue. I've learned red hot dogs are awesome. I've learned that ACZ basketball, but about the hog farms, well, at least three out of four ain't bad. (laughs) And I tell you, you don't get used to that smell. But now I'm adopted into this beautiful, awesome North Carolina family. And I want to live here the rest of my life, y'all. I mean, this is it. I'm so thankful that I'm in North Carolina. But you know what? Something far greater than where we live is that we're adopted into God's family.
0: And how did that adoption, uh, you know, take place? What did it cost God? Uh, are you familiar with the crucifixion, you know, Jesus scourging Beating uh, the crown of thorns being pressed in his head, the, uh, him being nailed, nailed to a cross, uh, hands and feet. Yeah, are you familiar with that at all? Uh, the blood sacrifice, any of that can ring a bell.
3: And that we are now in his family, and we' walking on streets of gold, and we have peace and love and joy, and we have all the inheritance that comes. From being a child of the most high God.
0: You notice he's focused, oh, we're going to have streets of gold and stuff like that. Uh, you know, it, it just sounds to me like um, he wants to be in heaven. Not sure if he really cares if God is there or not. He just wants the perks.
3: Our heavenly father wants to adopt you. He's pursuing a love relationship with you. He has chosen you. He wants to adopt you. And today, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, I want to give you a chance to even do that today. Last week, we were on um, Q Sappy Music. Um, had the Accelerate Conference with Pastor Rick Beezet. It was an incredible deal. And, of course, he spoke last week. And wasn't Pastor Rick awesome? I got a chance to spend some time with him this last week. And he was like, I said, man, our church loves you, man. All they're talking about is, Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick. I'm like, you don't love me anymore? No. And by the way, this past week, Outreach Magazine came out with their top 100 fastest growing churches in America. And guess who number one is? Guess what church is number one on the list? That's right, Pastor Rick Bezett's Church, New Life Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. And Pastor Rick, we are so blessed to be doing life with you guys. And we celebrate with you there at New Life Church with Chris Allen. And all those other people, we love you. We praise God for all that he's doing there.
0: This is is just a lot of patting yourself on the back kind of stuff. Self-affirmations.
3: I was getting ready for the conference on Friday morning, and I was running a couple of errands, and we're not learning anything about Ephesians anymore. We are just way off track. I ran into a gas station real quick, and there's this guy. He, had, he worked for a soft drink company, and he was, he was stocking up the, the store with soft drinks. And he said, hey, Pastor Matt. I said, hey, what's up? I said, tell me your name again. He's really sharp, young African-American guy. And uh, he told me his name. And I like, man, I just want to tell you, God's changed my life. C3 has just changed my life. We had a short little conversation there. I went inside. I came back out. I was walking in my car. He said, hey, Pastor Matt, can I share something with you? I said, absolutely. So I walked back and we started talking. He said, he said I just want you to know. He said, you know, you had that, that block party in your neighborhood? I said, yeah. He said, I came to that. He said, I just wanted to thank you for that. I had a blast. He says, you know, and then later on, I came to, came to your church. I came to see three. And then at this past first Wednesday, I got baptized. I just wanted to say thanks. I was like, wow, man, I said, you made my day. And here I am, I'm getting ready to go and speak to hundreds of leaders and pastors. And I thought, you know what, that's what it's all about. It's about one person. It's about one family Let me, that God knows that he, he loves them, that this young man, is now adopted into God's family. Isn't that good news? Nothing
0: about repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That's just is missing here.
3: Every person matters to God. You know what that means? That means you matter to God. Let's go to God in prayer right now.
0: All right, we're going to skip the... Prayer. So apparently, that was a sermon supposedly about the uh, first eight verses of the book of Ephesians. And it shows you how a seeker driven guy doesn't really know how to stay to a text and actually dig it out and tell us what it means. And there it is, staring him in the face, telling him what it says. And he's sitting there going, I, Well, I, that doesn't square with what I believe, so I don't know how to reconcile it. And he talked about the forgiveness of sins only when he was reading the passage. Ay, ay, ay. folks. The good news of the Gospel is is that Christ died for your sins. You want to talk about God's love. Here's the deal: You came into this world, a child of the devil, at war with God. No one had to teach you how to be bad, not at all. You are a wretched and horrible sinner. Look at God's law and what God's law demands of you. You don't meet up or measure up on any kind of a regular basis at all. It, whether it, it doesn't matter if you're measuring in minutes, uh, seconds, or nanoseconds, you're you're just not measuring up. And you know that because of your sinful rebellion against God and the fact the fact that you have done some terrible things in your life that are grievous sins, that you've earned hell. But God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. All of your sinfulness, all of your wretchedness is wiped away, washed away by the blood of Christ. Your salvation has been secured and won. And as the text says, it's God's will that we would be holy and blameless in his sight through what Christ has done for us. This is the good news of the gospel, the blessings that we are to count. And it's for you. Even if somebody is sinful as you, it's for you. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness and your sins and trust this good news about God's love for you because of what Christ has done on the cross. Amen. All right. Well, we're rapidly approaching the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith, and I need to remind you, uh, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio, and we need you to join our Pirate Christian Radio crew. Yeah, that's right. We need you to join. Um, as you know, our financial uh, backing will be coming to an end in February of 2010, and in order for us to continue going, we have to meet our needs every month. And in order to meet our needs, we uh, are asking a 1,000 of our listeners to join the Pirate Christian Radio crew and sign up to have a mere $6.95 deducted from their account on a, on a monthly basis. You can do this by going to FightingForTheFaith.com and click on the Friendly Join Our Crew button, and you can sign up right there securely. It's a pretty quick and painless process. And by doing so, uh, you ensure the longevity of this program and the mission of Pirate Christian Radio. So do that today. And if you'd like to donate above that, you can by clicking on the Donate button or sending your gift to Fighting for the Faith, Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Well, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith, and I'd love to get your feedback. You can email me, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can follow me on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or follow me on Twitter. Pirate Christian is the name there. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ in his vicarious death on the cross for your sins. Amen.